Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We're very excited to have you with us this Sunday morning. Um, you know, there, there was a, an article in USA Today the other day about religion um, and how uh, there are more and more instances of people making their own religions, doing a hodgepodge uh, cafeteria style Uh, I'll take this from this shelf, that from that shelf type thing. There are a lot more people who say that they are Christian and believe in Jesus, but less of them actually coming to church. Um, And many of them pulling things from other faiths as well as Christianity. George Barna, who is a man um, uh, who runs an institute, the Barna Institute, uh, a statistician who takes surveys of mainly the Christian environment, religious things, things like that. He's written a few books, and in his latest book, he says something to the effect of, uh, we are heading towards a country with 310 million people and 310 million religions. That we each have something that we are making our own. Because we live in a society that is all about me. Right? We live in a society that's all about me. You are the most important person in the world. That's what the world tells us. That's what um, the advertising agencies tell us. That's what every the message that we hear overwhelming is that you're the most important thing. Work everything out so that you can be the best you can be. Um, work everything out so that you have all that you want, all that you desire. There's even a, uh, there's a great show on NBC that Jenna and I watch called uh, Parenthood. Anybody watch Parenthood? Um, okay, a few of you. Uh, yeah, it's a, a, a great show, we, we think. Um, and there was an episode, it started again last week or this, this week. And one, there's a girl, it's a story of a big family. The, uh, the mother and father of four kids and then all of their families as well. So it's a huge family, Northern California. Um, and one of the daughters, so a granddaughter in the th- scheme of things, is 18, just graduated from high school. And she's having a fight with her mom and says something to the effect of, I need my space, this is just how it is. And she's being a horrendous daughter. She's being a horrendous person, but she's saying, this is just how it is. I need my, you know, and I was thinking about it just saying to go there. We have this big push in our society for authenticity. You know, that's the big kind of the buzzword. A lot of times in Christian circles is being authentic. Are you an authentic community? And a lot of times I think we use that authentic word to excuse some really bad behavior. Hey, man, I'm just being authentic. Does anybody else see that? I'm being authentic right now, and I'm so distracted by this candle. Does anyone hear that? Do you all hear that, Addison? Candle's like just pouring wax out on the altar right now. Um, Good thing it's metal, so we don't start on fire. Um, So we, we have this authentic word, you know. Hey, man, I just am who I am. It is what it is, you know. So I'm going to be a jerk about it. I'm going to be who I am and just who cares 
what happens to anybody else. Because it is what it is. And we have this society that just is really pushing that on us. Overwhelmingly so. That it doesn't matter necessarily what happens as long as you get what's yours. So push people down. Be rude. Ignore. Cut people off. Step on people. As long as you're moving to the place where you think you should be. This isn't anything new, I don't think. I think this is something that has existed in society for as long as we have been here. But I think the access to the overwhelming amounts of media and stuff that's out there is unlike anything else that's ever existed. The access to different thoughts and different processes and different uh, systems of religion, if you will, is so vast and so great that we're now creating this, this conglomeration of religions that's just right for me. Well, you can have your beliefs, but I'm going to have my beliefs. Matthew chapter 19 is where we are. And Jesus just finished talking about marriage and divorce. And he's pretty harsh on it. The, uh, the people who come to him to ask him a question are trying to get him into the debate of the day. If you remember, if you were here last week, I, I talked about the fact that there were two thoughts on when you could divorce someone in their society. One, um, one Rabbi Hillel was, uh, was one of the ones supporting one idea about when you could divorce somebody. And then uh, Rabbi Shanai was another rabbi who was supporting a completely opposite and different camp of when you could or could not divorce someone. Um, well, when a man could divorce a woman because a woman didn't have that right. Uh, so you have these different camps and there's this big debate going on and they're trying to pull Jesus into this debate and he wants nothing to do with it. And he lays down some wisdom. And so at verse 10, the disciples say, then is it better not to marry? Cause here's what they're, here's what they just heard. Do not get divorced. If you're married, do not get divorced ever. So they're like, well, then is it better not to marry? And Peter's like, because he was probably the only one married at the time. Uh, Verse 11, not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said, only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made that way by others. And some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone who can accept this statement. Verse 13, some children were brought to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. The disciples told them not to bother him, but Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And he put his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. Now, the way Matthew operated a lot of times was he took different teachings that Jesus would have done at various times, and he put them together when he wrote down the teachings of Jesus. So the fact that this follows another marriage teaching doesn't necessarily mean this was said right after the fact, nor does it mean that this children's part comes in. But it's an interesting uh, placement for it. Because Jesus earlier has talked, talked about children. And why didn't Matthew put that over there? Why did he choose to put it following this divorce thing, this eunuch thing? Um, you know, if you, if you can stay unmarried, you know, bully for you. If you can't, go ahead and do it. I think the reason is because from the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus, Jesus has said, I'm not like 
your brother. I ain't your grandfather's rabbi, you know. I'm not coming to teach you something that you have already heard. I'm not bringing you a way of life that you already know. I'm bringing you something completely and radically different. I'm coming to share with you truths that are radically different from what you have ever heard or learned before. I am coming to show you a way of life that stands against what you have known for centuries. I'm calling you to a radical way of living. In marriage, as a parent, in society with children. How many of you are bugged by the child outside in the parlor right now? Be honest. That's okay. They can hear us right now. They can see me raising their hand. Don't worry. It's not that many people. I'm looking at the camera. Hi. But what would Jesus have said? Bring them to me. Why don't we just shoo that kid out in the parlor? What's wrong, little guy? Come here. Let's talk about it. You know, come up on stage, buddy. Let's sit down. Kids love me. They look, they're fascinated by the beard. That's why Jesus had one, I think. But we shoo them away and we're all kind of uptight right now. I can tell in the back y'all are a whole lot more uptight than the front because they can't hear it as much. Some of you are like turning around, looking over to Kevin, like, Kevin, aren't you going to do anything about it? Kevin's like, dude, I'm listening. Leave me alone. But we get into this mindset in this operation, in this way of living that when we're offended, when we're put out in any way, we kind of, well, wait a minute, I'm offended at this. And Jesus is like, I'm calling you to a different way of living, a radical way to be in marriage together. Look, not everybody can handle this. Do not put on a non-Christian couple how a Christian couple should be married. Do not expect somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ to live in this world the same way that Jesus expects you. You're a husband and wife. You both believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, okay, here's your bar. Here's the world. Here's what I want for you. You have problems. Go to your community. So often in this world, when, uh, when a marriage is crumbling and things are going on, most of the community knows or suspects. And so they're like, man, did you see Bob and Sarah? Oh, my goodness. I can't believe they're. And Bob and Sarah are trying to hide it. But nobody says, hey, Bob, Sarah, come here. Let's love on you. Talk to us. What's happening? What is going on? Surround each other in the love of Christ and community. We are the body of Christ. We can't be the body of Christ without Bob and Sarah. Bob and Sarah made a commitment to one another five years ago. By the way, Bob and Sarah are fictional. And now they're struggling. So Daryl and Stacy, not fictional, Michael and Jenna, let's surround them. Hey, We've been married 15 years. We've been married 11 years. We don't know the struggles that you're going through, but we've been through struggles. Let's talk about it. Not helping, let's go see the pastor. Not helping, let's go to a counselor. Let's figure this out because God has called us as Christian couples to live in a different plane. 
Yeah, marriage is tough. I tell every couple that I marry, guess what? The feelings you feel for one another right now, this euphoric, woo, you're so cute, you're so pretty. Eventually you're going to wake up and go, oh, did you do the dishes? No, I didn't do the dishes. That's you. Right? Who's married and hadn't done that? You're in church. Don't fib. You know, you have these moments where these little things begin to irritate you. Let me tell you something that irritates the entire existence out of Jenna that I do. When I eat my food, I bite down on my fork. I don't know why I do this, but I do it. And it's not like this. It's just like barely any little sound whatsoever. It drives her nuts. Do you have to eat like that? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) You know, because that happens. We're a fallen humanity and that happens. And so the reason that couples stay together that are successful, that you look at those mentor couples, you look at those graybacks, I call them, you know, gorillas, the graybacks, the ones you look to, you look at those more mature couples in their marriages, in their walks, in their faith. They've been through highs. They've been through lows. They may be in lows or highs at the moment, but they've stuck together because they know something greater binds them together. They know that they made a covenant with God, not just by the state of Texas. I now pronounce you man and wife. Who cares? State of Texas will one day be over. God will not. Some of you don't like the fact that I even said that about the state of Texas. (laughs) God does not end. Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is and was and will always be. And as you base your life upon that, your marriage. Man. That's not to say, hear me. That we need to see this in a legalistic view that anyone who is married should never be divorced. Because I don't think that's the intent with which Jesus is delivering this. Look, Jesus is about a radical way of life. A radical way of loving. A radical way of forgiving that the world was not presenting. Is not presenting. And so marriages that are in a relationship where there is abuse, physical, mental, whatever, Jesus would never say, you know what? Sorry, you made a commitment. Ha ha. No. That's not our God. Jesus didn't die so that we would suffer in a relationship horrible, miserable things. No. But he does expect more. Those of you who are not yet married, think about that. Pray about that. Find a person who believes in Jesus like you do. And begin your relationship on him, not on the fact that she's hot, even though she might be. Those of you who are already married and have been married for a long time, if it's not there, if something's missing, try to come back to it. Come back, as Jerry Bonham told the uh, worship committee before, uh, worship team before the first service. Come back to your first love. Jesus is calling. He wants you to come back to your first love. Him. Him. A radical way of life that is different from the world. Divorces are so quick and easy. 
radical way of loving each other in a relationship of marriage and as children. See, the children, as they come to Jesus, the disciples see them as kind of a nuisance. They're like, hey, don't bother them. Don't bother them. I mean, you know, they were probably acting out of love for Jesus. He's had a long day. You know, he's been teaching. He's been on his feet, for, on the sandals for a while. You know, nobody's washed his feet. He's tired. Go away. You have snot running down your nose because you're little children. And they're trying to shoo them away. And Jesus says, whoa, no, bring them to me. You know, who, who knew, who knows who brought these kids? Their moms. Hey, that's that rabbi. That's Jesus. That's that guy that's, that's been laying hands on people and making the blind to see, making the lame to walk, making the dead to be alive. I want my kids to be near this guy. I want my kids to have him just lay hands on him for just a second. I want to be a part of this. And so they're bringing their children to Jesus and the disciples are like, ah, no, no, go. but Jesus says, that's not how we operate. The world may say, I'm tired. Your children come to me later. The world may say, hey, I've had a long day at the office. I know you want me to play trains with you right now, but I just need some time. So can you go somewhere else? Can you leave me alone? I have some emails to do. Corbin, seriously, just watch TV. I'm busy. I'm tired. I've been pouring out all day long. I need time to just. Is that what he did? No. Yeah, he took time to be away, to go by himself and to spend time with God. He took time, that kind of time. But when someone came to him. Never did he turn them away. Radical living. It's not about you. Hey, I'm tired. So what? Your child wants to love you. Radical living. Changing how you operate in the world. You have a job that drains you so much physically Emotionally, mentally, you come home at 930, you barely see your children. All of this stuff, quit the job. Radical. Radical. But Michael, the economy's horrible right now. There are people out of work everywhere. I know. I get it. And man, I, I speak as one who is blessed and I have a boss who knows Radical living. I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about David. (laughs) I mean, God too, but my immediate boss. He knows family is more important than the, than the overwhelming nature of the church. Hey, Michael, it's 930. I need you to be over here. Nope. I've told people no quite a few times. Hey, can you come over and pray with me? I can't right now, man. I will pray with you right now on the phone and I can come over tomorrow. But right now I'm with my family. And that's made people angry. Somebody's calling me right now to tell me. (laughs) Radical living. Changing how you operate in the world. It's not about you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about you. Come on, be emphatic about it. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about me. Jesus Christ, through these teachings about marriage and this teaching about the children, is saying, I am calling you to a different way of life. If you believe in me, if you accept the death and resurrection of the cross, then you have this eternal gift of life and love and mercy and forgiveness right here. And it is not yours to go. It's yours to extend to everyone else. To your spouse, to your children, to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your boss, to your employee, to the stranger on the street, to that person who believes nothing like you do. It's radical living. It's changing the way we operate in the world. Not just about coming on Sunday morning and crossing off the little box. Did my Christian thing for the week? Are you a believer? Yes, I go to church on Sundays. Is that it? That's something, but is that it? Is that all you do? Do you turn God, do you leave God here in the room? Is this the only place God lives for you in the CLC? Is this the only place that he exists in your life when you come to a worship service? Does he exist in your marriage? Does he exist in your children's lives, in your family? Does he exist in your office? Does he exist when you're driving on I-35? 281 out in Stone Oak. Does he exist out there? <laughs> <That's me. laughs> God calls us as we accept this gift of freedom to begin to live our lives for him in radical ways so that one, we can have freedom and two, others may know of his love. Let us begin to live our lives in radical ways, knowing that it's not about us anymore, that it is about him. Finish the way I finished last week. Be still and know that he is God. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly father, we thank you for the gift of life that you have given us through the death and resurrection of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. While we were sinners, you took the cross for us. You lived a radical way of life so that we may have freedom from death. You lived a radical way of life so that we may know eternal love. Help us to know that deeply with every pore of who we are. And help us to share that with a world who needs it. God, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.